Pastor Luke, good morning, everyone. How are you? I got a question. I want to. I want to comment just really briefly on Vacation Bible School uh, because I got a question from a concerned parishioner, um, my wife, uh, <laughs> earlier this week. She's like, uh, she she came to me and it was really intentional. She said, "Is it?" Like, I know we're doing VBS at Fletcher because, like, we're trying to engage kids in our neighborhood and families in our neighborhood and everything like that. But she's like, I mean, can I, can we send our kids? And, and I, I thought about that for a second. And I, like, you know, I've had a thousand thoughts in my head in, like, you know, three seconds about, like, wait a second. Have, have I not, have we not been, have I not been clear enough that this is an opportunity for conduit kids as well as your, your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors, like that, yes, our intention, of course, is to have, uh, is to engage um, all of the kids in this neighborhood and in this like little section of the school district. But, but that, of course, means that we, we our hope is that, um, is that, your kids will come too and spend the week with us and have a great time um, over at Fletcher School for VBS. So I wanted to make sure that we were that I was clear about that in case there was any because if if my wife wasn't sure, then maybe I screwed up big time. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that I I said that flat out. So um, it's so good to see you this morning. Um, it, it of course is. Um, it figures that last week when we were outside doing baptisms, it was 50 degrees. And this week when it's 90 degrees, um, we're inside here. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grateful to see you all this morning. And we had originally said that this week we were going to start a new series on the minor prophets, which are the smaller prophetic books that are in the, at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, we, we pressed the pause button on that for just a week or so um, as we wanted to do a little bit more preparation both in the, the, for those sermons but also the kind of the supplemental material that we often hand out to you. We needed just a little bit more time to make those things happen. Um, and so um, we're going to talk a little bit this morning. Um, we're going to do what we call a standalone sermon. We're not connected to really any of the other series or anything like that. Um, as Pastor Luke was, uh, had mentioned, and as we had uh, originally talked about last week, uh, yes, I am going on sabbatical this coming summer. And uh, I know that there, there could be a lot of detailed questions about that, a lot of nuts and bolts and logistical questions about that. If you're not subscribed to Conduit's YouTube page um, or follow us on any social media or anything like that, I'd encourage that you do that. Go we put up a whole video basically on sabbatical and kind of the time periods and what I'll be doing and what I'm not doing and whether or not this is like a covert exit strategy for Pastor Cameron to leave ministry or to leave conduit or anything like that. I assure you 100% uh, my, um, my, unless the Lord takes me from this earth in the in the time that I am gone, right? I will be back as your pastor uh, at the end of at the end of sabbatical. It's my intent and my heart to lead here um, 
not just in the short term, but in the long term, as long as God would have me and you would have me be your pastor, that's my intent. So, um, so it's, it's, not, it's not an exit strategy for me. It's an opportunity for my family and I to hit a, uh, I wouldn't say so much a pause button as much as it is just a, 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 an intermittent recalibration, right, where we can spend some time in deep rest, in deep connection with one another, really seeking the Lord um, for our family and uh, for ministry and for my calling in general. And um, after, you know, pressing on the gas pedal of ministry for the last 17 years, um, I just need to let off of it for just a brief amount of time to kind of regain and recenter a little bit. Um, but we thought, I thought that in the midst of, in the midst of talking about sabbatical and its upcoming reality, that I wanted to talk a little bit about um, it would it it would provide an apt opportunity to talk about. I I think probably people the the most difficult or the hardest commandment in the Old Testament to follow. Um, I don't I don't know about you, but like. If you think about the Ten Commandments, there's all these like really weighty, um, weighty kind of commandments or laws that we that we kind of build the structure of modern morality and ethics and law even off of things like do not murder, right, and thou shalt not steal, right, or thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's. I don't know if your neighbor's got a donkey and you're coveting it, but like, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's donkey or anything like that. Um, but, you know, like, there's all of these, like, what, what then is or what then becomes the most difficult or the hardest commandment to, to follow. I don't know about you. I don't particularly struggle. I don't particularly struggle with the commandment to not murder. I'm not like, I mean, it's not one of those things where I'm like, you know, get out of bed in the morning, my eyes open, my knees hit the floor at the edge of my bed. Lord, yesterday I really struggled with murder. Today, I'm really praying that I would struggle with not murdering or that I would like have victory in not murdering. All right. So that like, right. I mean, right. Okay, I'm, I'm certainly, and I'm not, I'm not making light of it. There, you know, um, over the swath of human experience, right? Um, there are people that really do indeed struggle with all kinds of different things, and I'm not making light of that. But what I'm saying is, is if like most of us, in most people in the general population, when they come to the Ten, Ten Commandments, they're not, they're not like, oh yeah, I, I really like, I'm glad that God put that in there because had He not right? It would be an issue for me. But what I do find is that when we come to something like Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, we see like one of those things that were almost conveniently like skim over in the reading of the, in the reading of the Ten Commandments, right? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no, do not, not do any work, neither you, your son, your daughter, 
your manservant, your maidservant, your animals, your alien within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Sometimes, and I feel this even in moments where I've been, I've been sitting where you're sitting and the pastor in front of me begins to talk about the holiness of the Sabbath, there is this sense of like, <laughs> okay, right? Oh, haha, right? We get it. Yeah. Yeah. Funny pastor. Like, and there's just like this, well, we'll, we'll humor, we'll humor them for the day because it is in the Bible. And yeah, they do have to preach about it and probably should say, say something about it. Right. Yeah. But we get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Follow the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we'll jump right on that. Right. Jump right on that. Um, and there's this kind of undertone of like, yeah, we know that it's in there, but you can't honestly expect anyone to listen to that. Right? Like, like seriously, you can't. Like, really, God? I mean, like, okay, don't murder. I got it. Got it. We'll abide. But rem- like the Sabbath, rest, that, that just seems a little extreme. Seems, seems a little out of touch, Lord. Got things to do. Not sure if you see my calendar lately. Got things to do. Okay? I am, uh, I've personally become a little unsure as to, I, I understand, okay? I understand that in, uh, from a worldly context, how something like the maintaining or keeping of, of a Sabbath day is something that's kind of like skewed as like, yeah, I don't think so. Like, not going to do that, right? So I get it from like a worldly context. Like, it's just not something that is really built into or sewn into the culture or the fabric of who we are as 21st century modern American people, right? I'm a little unsure here of how like, of how um, it's become so easy within the Christian community and with those who follow Jesus, um, I'm a little unsure of why it's become so easy to thumb your nose at it. Uh, And why it's become almost like a joke when your pastor starts to talk about it. Because because it's like, well, yeah, he's got to talk about it because he has to, but like no one really actually believes that kind of stuff or does that kind of stuff. No No one ever receives like conviction from the Holy Spirit that the authority of God's word still ha- has like foundational aspects of Jesus' obedience to the Sabbath and certainly it's, um, it's um, like uh, appropriateness for our life today. A little unsure why it got to that point. But I have, I'm, I have a feeling, right, Maybe a Holy Spirit feeling. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. Like, I have a Holy Spirit feeling that it's associated somewhat, that attitude towards Sabbath is associated somewhat with another commandment that we see in Exodus chapter 20, where, um, where, where, God, where God says to the Israelites through Moses, verse 4 in Exodus chapter 20, kind of says it in two different ways in verse 3 and 4. Verse 3, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And verse 4, 
You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Listen, we may have disagreements over the appropriateness of Sabbath or the practicality of Sabbath for your particular work or your particular life, right? We certainly can have, um, I think, functional conversations about that. What I think that um, if, we, if we uncover or we brush off the dust of our own honesty a little bit, I think we all can come to some form of agreement that um, in, in many ways we, we have made idols out of lives that perpetually exist to, provor- to perform, to produce, and to do. That we have, we have made idols out of those types of lives. Because many of us think that an idol is something, you know, like, oh, here's a wooden figure that I bow down to and pray to every night, right? The, the, the Old Testament Baal figure, right? The, the, the other religious figure or God, right? But um, I think the word is, is general or ambiguous enough or, or comprehensive enough for, for us to understand, right, that there are are often very non-physical things, non-idle-on-your-table type of things that we bow our lives down to and worship. And, and one of the things that our culture has become excellent at and even supports people worshiping the idea of all of your life being a performance, what you can produce, how much you can do, what it is that you, the product that you can push out. And so the prospect then of a paradigm shift away from the idea that we are made to perform, produce, and do sounds even to the church downright unrealistic in some cases so that we might even begin to consider the idea of resting as ungodly and lazy. At some point, our idolatry to work and production and performance has led us to the point where actually stopping for a hot second to be present with Jesus and present with those around us ends up feeling or we feel the pressure of it being ungodly. Well, I have to work. My work honors God. Hard work honors God. Or what do you expect? This is the way that I take care of my family. Or even more dangerous, right, is, listen, my work is my calling. My work is my calling, so it never stops for me. Listen, you're going to hear about this in a moment, but like 
There was no one's work in life that was more their calling than Jesus. And he took more breaks than all y'all combined. Okay? He took a 40-day break, break before he even started his ministry in the desert. Okay? Here's the, here's the, here's the danger. Okay? Here's the danger of the paradigm shift that considers like the excuses for not resting as being holy. Like, well, I have to work. It honors God. Oh, this is the way that God has provided for me to take care of my family. Or it's my calling. It's my purpose. It's the thing that he's given me to do in life. Here's really the danger in this is that, is that they're half true. Those things are half true. Your work does honor God. And yeah, you, you do have a calling in life. And yes, it is, it is true that, that the work that God has given you to do or the place that he has put you, the job that it is in, is a way in which he is providing for you and your family. Absolutely 100%. But, but see, the reality is, is that, is that it's, it's, it's actually half true. And half truths that rationalize our idolatry are more dangerous than outright idols that sit on your table. Because they mask themselves as being okay, and so we rationalize the continued disobedience towards them by saying, well, it's, it's mostly true. Right? It's not. It is, it is every much an idol as a wooden figure that you would bow down to every single morning. Now you may find it strange, you may not. You may find it strange that this is not an uncommon this is not an uncommon thing for pastors or or people who work in ministry. We deal with this as well. I deal with this daily. Sometimes even in higher degrees than you may because like, man, I am great at taking all of the things that I do and baptizing them in the name of this is my calling. This is what I have to do. I'm doing this for Jesus, right? It's for Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's for Jesus. And the reality is, is that Jesus isn't asking me to do those things. I'm just assuming that he wants me to do those things. Jesus is saying, hey, you know, you need to slow down a little bit because you're making an idol out of yourself in the work of ministry. You're not that important. You're not that critical. You are not you are you are not the you are not the you are not the, the god of ministry here. It it becomes this it becomes this cycle, right? This this churning, right? Where it doesn't just apply to pastors, it applies to all of us, but it becomes this cycle, this churning, where we can run too long in the gray area of doing for Jesus and being with Jesus. And doing that too long can, can confuse and drain our spirits. It can confuse and drain our perspective and our priorities so that we can no longer we can no longer successfully discern 
the things that I'm doing for Jesus and being present with Jesus. So now everything becomes a gray area where, 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 where nothing is rest and everything is rest, where nothing is work and all of it is work. Now, I have recognized that, conf confessing to you, my church, I have recognized that in my, own, in my own heart and in my own life, right? The tendency to hold so tight to the work of being called as a pastor, right? That when Jesus tries to take it away from me, I won't let him, right? You start to play tug of war with Jesus over the church, Right? You begin to play tug of war with Jesus over someone's soul, over the issues that they're experiencing, over their, their family situation, or their health condition, or their, um, or their mental health, right? And all of a sudden you get into this tug of war like, no, Jesus, I, I'm going to fix this. And no, Jesus, I'm going to fix this. And no, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to fix this. I'm, I'm going to do this. And recognizing that I, that I in, in many ways, and in many, many like, um, um, in many extremes throughout ministry, right, becomes very easy to make the church an idol. Becomes very, very easy to make the church an idol. Becomes very easy to make ministry an idol. Becomes very easy to make my calling an idol. Where, listen, the only thing that I want to bow my life to is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Not conduit. Not the church. Not the little plaque on my, like, not the little plaque on my bookshelf that says Pastor Cameron Leinhart or my ordination certificate or anything like that. No. Like, the only thing I want to bow my life to is Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that's not an idol. There's a few things that, um, that I'm going to be asking God to do in my life and in my heart through sabbatical and that I want to, that, that, that I don't think are, they're not particular to light, they're not particular to pastoral ministry, right? And so I want to, I want to invite you to join me <laughs> In, in that same like invitate asking the Lord to do these things. Now I understand that, that not listen, this is not my sermon, right? It is not lost on me. It's not lost on me that not everyone has the blessing and the opportunity to take a break from their work, their job. Um, and probably, if I'm being honest with you, like that's the most difficult thing for me about this coming next few months is the the guilt associated with why well why me? Why do I get to do this? Why doesn't anyone else? Right? And I don't have an answer to that other than I'm asking I'm asking God to allow me to learn how to receive, how to be ministered to, right? 
and at the same time trying to, in as many ways as I can, to express my just deep, deep, deep thankfulness and gratefulness to you, my church family, my staff, the leadership team, people who are like, who are, who have supported and encouraged and like pushed me in this direction of being like, yeah, go, it's okay, we love you, we're praying for you, this is, this is um, what is needed for you and your family, take this as a, the gift that it is. So, understand that I'm not, I'm not naive to those things, okay? I'm not, I'm not naive to that. I am um, fully recognize that. What I do want to say, though, is that there are principles of rest and Sabbath and sabbatical that, are, that, go, that go beyond just what work in ministry is, right? So here are a few things that I'm asking God to do in me and that I'm, I would invite you to ask Him to do in you as well. Um, is to begin to recognize or re-recognize, re-realize that rest is woven into the natural fabric of all creation. And that fighting against it only creates pain and suffering. Rest is woven naturally into the fabric of all creation. Right? If you will, if you uh, you know, if you if you plant a garden, right? Or if you ask a farmer who plants a field, they will tell you all about the the, the necessity of seasons of dormancy, so that the soil in which things grow can be replenished, can be worked, can be nurtured so that the next season may come with increased fruitfulness, with increased harvest. There is a reason that we, that we cut the branches, even live branches, off of fruit trees. We we cut them off so that we can concentrate the nutrients to the things that are most likely to bring fruit in the coming seasons. Right? And, and rest is a recognition that sometimes things must be cut off, sometimes things must lay dormant in order for there to be fruit that is unrealized in this current season in the next Of course, rest being woven into the fabric of all creation is, is nowhere more evident than in the creation account. In Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now God had just gotten done creating all that there is, right? No small task. By the words of his mouth, right? He said, let there be light, right? Sun, moon, stars, land, water, sea, air, birds, animals, fish, like, right? Man, everything. 
out of the very words of his mouth. Like we don't get the, we, we get the sense from the way in which the, uh, the author of Genesis 1 wrote that the act of creating for God was not strenuous at all. That it, was, that it came out of his very breath as, as natural it is for you and I to breathe in and to breathe out. That is how natural it was for the created world to come by the breath of God, by the voice of God. And so he gets right to the seventh day. And what do we think? Wow. All of that work that God did, he must be exhausted. He must really need to sit down, to put his feet up, and to rest. And that's why he created the Sabbath day and is asking us to keep it holy because God is tired and he needs us to rest. Or he needs to rest. Listen, God does not tire. He does, not grow, he does not grow weary or faint, the psalmist says. His understanding no one can fathom, right? He is infinite holiness and glory. And, and, and just by seeing his face, we would fall dead. Right? Out, of, out of the breath of his mouth, right? he created everything out of nothing. God is not worn out. God is not tired. God did not need a break. So something else must have been going on when God created a day for rest. Is that in the midst of creating everything else, he wove into the natural rhythm of creation rest. Making it a necessary part of everything that is coming to culmination in the rest. It's interesting even that if you read the Gospels and you read them a little bit more closely than just a surface reading, that Jesus did most of his healing of people who were infirmed, blind, deaf, crippled, on what day? The Sabbath day, right? Because Sabbath, apparently for Jesus, was a day for healing. It was a day of healing. Listen, God was not tired. God, God, God included Sabbath in the creation account because he wants us to recognize and enjoy the sunset just like we enjoy Sabbath. He wants us to enjoy Sabbath just like we enjoy a starry night. Sabbath was a gift given to us by a creator who lovingly created all things for his glory and our enjoyment. And so it was woven into the deepest part of who God even is. What I'll be asking God to do is to, is to like take the scales off of my eyes that have seen rest as like an addendum to the beauty of his creation and rather see it as the like culminating moment where we recognize the glory of all that he has done. Lord, let me see your face. 
Let me experience your glory. Let me see the beauty of all that you have created. Lord, Lord, write that rhythm on the, like, the tablets of my own heart like you did on the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Write that in the heart of flesh, Lord. I got this image when I was writing this point um, this week of like how our work, like the, the refusal, and listen, don't get it twisted. It's a refusal, okay? The refusal to honor the Sabbath. That the refusal to honor the Sabbath is like um, if you were to put a canoe or a kayak in a river and you were going to be intent to paddle that kayak upstream, meaning against the flow of the current. And I've done things like that before, right? And what does it require? It requires extraordinary like um, exertion. Usually even your physical posture is head down, right? And you're just rolling, like everything that you got, like going, 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 as hard as you can possibly go, completely oblivious to the world around you at that point. Not being able to see or recognize or take in any sense of God's glory or beauty or the water rushing or the sounds happening or the sun beating down on your face or the scenery that's around you. You're just so utterly focused on, man, I got to get this canoe upstream. And like the moment of, the moment of Sabbath is like being willing to turn the canoe downstream because it's at that moment where exertion becomes non-necessary for you to witness the beauty of all that's around you. The glory of the things that are around you. The created work of God that is around you. The beauty of God's work and life within you and around you. Now, Sabbath as a Sabbath as a, rev, as a regular rhythm, there's, there's, there's three main rest periods that we see in Scripture. You know that? It's not just Sabbath. Most of us know that. Some of you may know about the year of Jubilee from Old, in the Old Testament, right? But there's also a mid-period, right? So there's Sabbath, which is designed as a regular rhythm within a set amount of time, usually weekly, right? If you're keeping the pattern or the rhythm of the creation account sabbath weekly and then there's a middle period called literally sabbatical in exodus or leviticus chapter 25 right sabbatical which is meant to be an extended period it's nondescript but it's usually a year i'm not taking a year right every seventh year there's a sabbatical right and the seventh of every seventh year, or every 50 years, right? 49, the 50th year, it's called the year of Jubilee, where it's like all debts are canceled, all slaves are set free, all ground lies fallow, right? And you, you, 
You enjoy the beauty of the bounty that God has given in the midst of the periods before. And so you'll see these things if you, um, if you read, especially in Leviticus. But it's not just about recognizing that rest is woven into the natural fabric of all creation from the Heavenly Father, right? It's also about, and additionally, the second thing that I'm going to be asking um, uh, the Lord to do is to give me increased insight and application into my own life about the natural rhythm of Jesus, which was rest, solitude, and prayer. That Jesus actually himself had a natural, had this natural um, rhythm, right? Where he would be in ministry, and then he would he would escape to solitude, and then he would spend time in prayer with his heavenly Father, and then he would go back, and he would be in ministry, and then he would escape in solitude, so that he could spend prayer um, with with his heavenly Father, and then back into ministry, and so on, and so on, and so forth. Right, and when you begin to look for these things. In the gospel accounts, you begin to see the incredible amount of times where Jesus was like, and he escaped to a solitary place, or he went up on the mountain to pray, or he went across the, the lake to get away from the crowd, right? And then back into ministry. And then he got solitude again, and then back into ministry. Some examples for us, for instance, is in Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, right? Everyone is looking for you, right? They immediately, like, Jesus, why are you alone right now? Why are you praying in a solitary place? Don't you know that there are urgent matters to attend to? There are people, and they are looking for you. Right? I don't know about you, but I'd scurry off like, right, I was like the most important person in their lives at that point. Like, okay, I'll come save them and do everything that I can for them, no matter what. What does Jesus do here? An incredible example. I like... It's so incredible that I'm even like, geez, Jesus, kind of like giving pastors a bad name here. Like, not exactly the greatest model. Jesus replied, I think we'll go someplace else. Let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. It's like, it's like when... There was, Jesus was like, no, I, I'm with my father right now. I'm in a solitude, solitary place. I'm praying. I'm connecting with him. I understand that there are incredible needs everywhere, but like, I'm gonna, we need to move on. It wasn't the only instance, especially in the Gospel of Mark. Mark seems particular about recognizing these moments where Jesus got away Four times of solitude and prayer with his father. Mark chapter 6 is also a, um, verse 31, it's also a great. 31, 32, and then over to verse 46 in Mark chapter 6. Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. 
Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So who was he saying this to? Jesus was saying this to his disciples who he had previously just sent out in ministry. He said, go out, heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim repentance in the name of, uh, of the Son of God, right? And they came back and they began to talk to him about what they had experienced. And when they came back, there was such a crowd of people around them that Jesus recognized that the disciples literally did not even have space to eat a meal while dealing with the needs, significant needs, certainly, not diminishing their needs, but barely had an opportunity to even eat their meal. And so he said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now the crowd just followed them, goes on to say. But later in verse 46, it says after this, basically after this, Jesus left them by themselves out in the boat so that they could get a solid, so that they could get some time, right? And it says, what does he do? Does he go back and minister to the crowd of people? Verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Jesus ministered to his disciples and served the masses of people out of an overflow of his communion with his heavenly Father. The pattern of Jesus' life and the pattern of Jesus' ministry was connecting with his Father so that out of the overflow of his relationship with his heavenly Father, he could be in ministry first to his disciples and then his disciples to the masses. And listen, if we have people that we are leading, if you have people that you are in intimate relationship with and that you are leading in leading um, leading them into faith and relationship with Jesus. If you have kids, for instance. If you have children. You cannot give them something that you do not have. You cannot give to people around you what you do not possess. This was true even for Jesus Christ Himself. Who regularly saw it as necessary to His life and ministry to get away in a solitary place to connect with, to connect with God. It was out of the overflow of His relationship with His Heavenly Father that He was able to do the things that He did or that He at least thought was necessary to do the things that He did. This will be, um, quite honestly, this will probably be my, the most significant aspect of my time away is getting in a spot or in a place where I have been released from meeting the most critical and necessary and important needs in front of me so that I may get to a solitary place and enter into um, deep communion with Jesus. Where I can enter into like um, deep reading of God's Word. 
You know what happens like 99% of the time that I read God's Word, I read the Scripture? Which I do every day, try to every day, is that as I'm reading, I'm making notes either in my margin or my like, my notebook about, well, oh, I should preach on this in that way. Right? And so I begin to associate my, my communion with Jesus and His Spirit, my, my, my relationship with the Lord in the Word with the task that I have of bringing a message. And, and what it does is it, it cuts the communion that I have with Jesus off at the knees by making it something that I must do in order to perform well on a weekly basis rather than an opportunity for God to speak deeply into my life through his word so that out of the overflow of his speech and his presence in my life, I can serve my wife and I can serve my kids and I can serve my staff and I can serve the leadership team and I can serve you and I can serve the community. And so my... My, what, I, what I'm asking Jesus to do in, in like probably the most significant way out of anything else in all, in all this time away and all the sabbatical is, Lord, please come and meet with me. And <laughs> as I'm hearing him say right now, right, like I've been waiting for you to come meet with me for years. <laughs> right? Not the other way around. I'm not inviting God to come and meet with me. Right? He's inviting me to come meet with him. He's ready. He's ready to meet with me. He's ready to meet with you, right? In a significant way. And this will be central to my time away so that I may face my own idols of work and ministry and accomplishment. Because as I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, I want to lead in this place long term and I want to serve you and I want to love you and I want to lead you out of the overflow of what God is doing continually in my own heart. Third, the third thing that I'll be asking um, God to do in, um, is to help me, and again, something that I would invite you to invite, invite the Lord to do in your own heart, is um, to be present with and to connect, to be present with, to connect deeply with, and serve my family first. Here's an unfortunate reality and confession of life in ministry. I'm not saying all people, but it, it, had been, it has been my story that oftentimes, and this is, not an, this is not a good example, okay? So I'm asking the Lord to help correct it in my life. Is that oftentimes my wife and my five kids often get the leftovers of my presence, they get, they get the crumbs that fall off the table of the work of ministry, right? And come home after a long day, just absolutely mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically vanquished from the work of ministry and service to the point where I have, like the tank is, empty. Empty. And so, I think you know, like when you... When you've given all that you've got at a certain point in the day, and when you come home and maybe you have little kids or something, and you need to display the heart of gentleness and a spirit of patience and compassion 
and a, and a heart of service for your, both your kids and your wife, it's like, man, I got, I got nothing. I got nothing left. And so it just comes out as like, I'm in, like there's annoyance and there's anxiety and there's anger, right? And so what then ends up happening is like, man, I got to escape this and just like zone out because I don't have anything left. I don't get anything left. Nothing left. Empty. Gone. Goodbye. Um, and brothers and sisters, this should not be so. This should not be so. Right. Again, um, like my my you know like my number one calling in life is to be a son of the heavenly Father. My number two calling in life is to be a husband to my wife, to serve her as Christ has served the church and to give my life up for her, uh, to bring glory to him, right? My number third calling in life is to be a father, right, to the, to the children that the Lord has entrusted to me so that I can, out of the overflow of my relationship with God, I can pass on faith to them and help nurture and disciple them in their faith. And then my number, my number four calling, right, is to be a pastor, my number four. Doesn't even crack the top three. Can you imagine? And far from, far from that being a commentary on where you fall in the list, right? I don't, I don't, because we, in an unhealthy way, we could, we could tend to think, well, I mean, like, why am I not as important? Why, why am I not as, as, as important as that? Um, and it's not that you're not important, and it's not that I it's not that I won't give my life to serve you and to love you and to be your pastor and to guide you into faith in Jesus and hope to move you out into mission and have the Spirit dwell deeply within you so that your families can be transformed and your homes can be transformed and um, this area can be so so you can experience transformation as well as in the same way that Jesus ministered out of the overflow of his relationship with God like. It will be impossible for me to lead you in the way that God, that honors God and that he's calling me to lead you if my priorities are so ridiculously out of whack that, yeah, I may be doing a good job up here, but absolutely falling on my face at home, God will not consider that a win. It's not a win. It's not a win to be an all-star in the church and to be a dud at home. It's not a win. And so, you know, my, my family has some, like, I, w- I want to tell you, like, just to avoid all speculation, my family is very healthy. My wife, I adore her, right? My kids, I love deeply, right? Our marriage is strong. Our family is strong. We're not, like, sabbatical is not a cry for help. Oh, I I have to go save my family or have to go save my marriage. It's not that at all, right? I will, um, um, someone, I I was at a party yesterday and someone commented to me, um, of course, because I was at a party and they knew I was a pastor and so they, like, it was time for a counseling session, right? And it was like, just like, how difficult marriage is and how burdensome it was, and, and I, my gosh, I resonate with, like, I don't resonate with that. I understand that so much in my heart. It's just full of compassion and gentleness and hope and desire to help and serve um, uh, 
couples and seasons where marriage is, marriage is just difficult, but I, I got home and I was telling Sherry, I was like, I had the situation and I got to say, like, I just want you to know that I, like, our marriage has never been difficult. Like, I just love you and love being married to you and um, can't imagine life in any other way. Like, this is, you, you know, I'm, I'm yours forever. And, and so I want you to know, right, that it's not a, I'm not escaping to go fix a big problem in my marriage. It's very strong. But my family does have needs and my kids are at critical ages with critical issues where, where, where I see my primary role as being like so present in their lives that the, that the work of Jesus in me just like is just flowing out of me onto them. That's what my, and, and, and that will always come first. That will always come first. Sabbatical, I read this in a book, um, not about, not the Bible, another book about sabbaticals. Sabbatical is ultimately not about laziness or not working. Sabbatical is ultimately about presence, being present with Jesus and being present to others. I'm going to close with this. What does presence look like for me? Well, I'll tell you, one time this week, my phone was dying while I was here, right? My phone battery was dying, so my phone charger was behind me, behind my desk. And so I plugged my phone in and set it on the table behind my desk. It was late in the day. I was late getting home, so I left. What did I forget here? My phone. I didn't have time. I didn't have time to, get, to come back and get it because I didn't realize it was gone until I was like halfway home and Sherry needed to get out of the house to go do something. And so I was resigned to leaving my phone at home for an evening. Let me tell you what. The Holy Spirit, like two by four to the skull, right, of how distracted and not present at home I was. Because when not having the thing that was easy to divert my attention and my presence made me realize how uncomfortable being emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually present for my family had, been, had become. Because now, all of a sudden, I didn't have the thing that could distract me. I didn't have the thing that could connect me to people that are not right in front of me, but are all around the world. I was just forced to deal with and see my wife and kids. And it was like, a, what have I become? What has this become? Not acceptable, Cameron. Not okay. And my wife stopped by the church and got my phone for me before she came home that night. So I was without it for like three hours, right? But it was like such a... I see it, listen, I see it as a gentle, merciful window that God allowed me to look through about the state of my being present with other people. And of course, I want to be most present to Jesus. 
and then I want to second be, be present then to my wife and then present to my kids. But I, of course, like the intangible downhill benefits of my presence with Jesus and my wife and my kids is that to be present with you, to, 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 to be able to, to truly and earnestly and honestly be like, like eye contact, face to face, not like a thinking about anything else, but like being completely dialed into serving and loving you in the moments where it is necessary or in the moment where you need support or encouragement or in the moment where like we're just connecting on a like on the level of of like I want to be I just want to be more present. I want to be more present for people. Okay. You may find that you text or call me or something like that on sabbatical and that I don't answer. Don't be surprised. Um, and don't be offended. Okay? I love you deeply. Okay? But I also probably will have my phone off for the majority of the time. Right? Just off. Right? Um, if you need to get a hold of me, like send up the bat sign or something like that. But the bottom line is you won't need to get a hold of me. Right? Because you have... Um, a faithful and willing um, pastor who will be here to serve you, right, and love you and share the word of God with you, right, and a staff and a leadership team and um, a community, right? We're, we're, we're a community um, that loves and supports you, but I just want you to know that, like, part of my task will be to be present. And so don't expect that you will never hear from me in sabbatical, but don't expect that it will be very verbose either, okay? Um, my, my prayer is that you will, is that sabbatical becomes, I, early in planning for this, I read a book about like making the sabbatical experience a whole church experience. And I, I'm still kind of like scratching my head about that. Like, okay, how does like the sabbatical for a pastor become something that becomes like a, uh, a tool or a process for a whole community's experience of Sabbath and rest and everything like that. And, and I, I still confess to not exactly knowing, but I, what, I, what I do know is that I, I, I'm going to continue and persist in prayer for you over that time and, and invite you to ask the Lord to do the same things in your hearts that I'm asking him to do in mine because I don't think that my experience is so uncommon. I, I, I don't think that it's like, oh, this is only something that pastors need to do, right? Or pastors need to consider about, you know, the weaving of Sabbath and the natural rhythms of creation, understanding Jesus getting away to be with his Father so that out of the overflow of that relationship he can serve others or to be present with Jesus so that we can be present with others. I don't think that's just a pastor thing. I think that's a human thing. Right? And so, and so maybe, right, 
maybe if we're keeping those kind of central tenets as the, the center of what I'm hoping to experience and asking God to do, that maybe that's something that you could ask God to do as well. And so that in that whole period of time, we're, we're all taking the opportunity to have God change our hearts and our lives in that way. Of course, as Pastor Luke said, that some postcards will be going out. I absolutely covet your prayers. At like, I can't say it enough. Um, there's, a, there's a big part of me that's really excited and looking forward to this. There is a big part of me that is absolutely terrified. Absolutely terrified. And um, so, please pray for us. Terrified and just like a, you know, can I be present? Or, will Jesus meet with me? Or, who am I when I am not a pastor? Um, so, please be praying for me. Be praying for my family. Be praying for Pastor Luke, for the leadership team, for the other staff as they lead faithfully here. So, it's not the last time you'll see me, but... Um, I um, we wanted to take an opportunity to speak a little bit more extensively on it before it happens. If you didn't see the video, I will know that like the 17th, July 17th will be my last Sunday in worship. Um, and we'll be gone for um, somewhere between 12 and 16 weeks. We are attending, I will be attending another church. I've asked a man of God to pastor me, to be my pastor during that time. Looking forward to that. And also not... Um, so, uh, like I said, please pray for us. Let's, let's pray as the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, you are, you are so good. And uh, we are so grateful for your love, for your life, for the ministry of your earth spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask, I ask, Lord, that um, you would take the truth of your word and that you would shoot it deep down into the deepest depths of our soul, Lord, so that we would be transformed. Heavenly Father, I pray that in some way today, you would allow us all to see the glory and the beauty of your creation and that we would pause for a moment or for an hour or for an afternoon if we are able to be healed, to be restored, and to be renewed in the midst of the glory of all that You have created. Thank You, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.